Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 26 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Thank you very much for downloading it and for continuing to to do so. We keep troubling them charts on iTunes and on Acast and everywhere else. So thank you very much for everyone that supports and specifically those who um, subscribe and have it set to auto download because as I've said before that's a really good way to support uh, the podcast and kind of jump us up the charts um, at the start because it means a load all get downloaded at once. So thank you very much for that. This week's guest is Rao Reynolds. No, (laughs) you'll see why that's that's funny after the conversation and his, his explanation of a roo like moo, not rao like cow. Um, but yeah, of Enter Shikari. But before we do that, I need to quickly ask you for a bit of support to head to my um, a, a labels a, a website. If you like the podcast, we do these free every month. In fact, the, uh, this month, me and poor Rod Wargy have been churning out two a, two a week, which is crazy. Um, so if you want to support that, head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and just have a look around the web store. We've got a lot of stuff there. We've got mugs, obviously CDs and T-shirts. We've just launched a barbecue apron, a barbecue apron that that, that uses the the lyric from my song introduction, uh, you see a mousetrap, I see free cheese and a fucking challenge. Um, so go there and check that stuff out. It's very much appreciated. The other thing I want to mention quickly before we get into this, I'm just after a a lot of support this week. Um, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday the 25th. Um, and tomorrow, if, if you're listening to this on March 25th, a Wednesday, tomorrow I have my film club um, at the PCC, the Prince Charles Cinema in just off Leicester Square in London. And basically I've been doing my film club for a while now. Um, it's a dream come true. They basically uh, let me pick some films to put on and then everyone comes and we watch them in the cinema. So we get to see a lot of my favourite films that I've never seen on the big screen. And there's a few reasons for this. I'm a massive film nerd, but even that, even with that, if I put a, a DVD on at home or a Blu-ray or whatever, or st- streaming or whatever it is, you know, I'll end up, I'll be looking at my phone every now and then, I'll be looking around my flat or my house and seeing how it needs to be decorated and how my life's a general mess whereas in the cinema I'm completely lost in that moment and in the experience so that's really cool and the other thing we do is we do a and a afterwards it's, it's normally me and a great comedian and film nerd called Rich Sandlin um we do a and a afterwards despite having fuck all to do with the films um but the point of that again is since the dawn of the term spoiler alert you see a film and it's really hard to talk about it because people don't want it spoiled and our theory is that you're sitting in a room with you know f- 50 to 100 other people who've just seen this film it's the perfect time to discuss what you think about it so come along to that this week it is unprofit which i've just butchered with my french pronunciation but um yeah absolutely amazing film i love it um i can't wait to see what you people think of it we're also going to be screening um a little video of a thing i did um i i I reenacted a scene from unprofit um at rich sandlin's film club so yeah you'll get to see that at the end but come along it's going to be good fun details are online and at the prince charles cinema website also birmingham and london my my we are lizards club night is this weekend as well so on on friday in birmingham if you're about and you fancy hearing a great band called tiny giant who are just blowing me away so 
even if you can't make it, go and check them out. And then I'll be DJing. I'll have DJ Destruction here. I've mentioned numerous times on the podcast with Yoda on, with Zane Lowe on. Everyone kind of knows he's the best kept secret in DJing. So we will be at the Hare and Hound on Friday. Come on down. You can buy tickets in advance or you can just turn up on the night and come and check us out. And then my We Are Lizards Club night also. We have traditionally done it at the, the the, the book club in Shoreditch and that's still our home we had three years of sold out um, events there um, but we're trying to try a few a few other places out as well not instead so we've got it at the distillery in um, in Camden which is a, a lovely venue we did it we've done a, a one there so far I've really liked it it's got that kind of gritty dirty venue vibe but the sound's really good the, the setup's really good the drink isn't that expensive which again is a big problem in a, a lot of london clubs and nights so come down to that we are at the stillery on saturday um that's about all my plug-in <laughs> that's cheeky isn't it anyway this week's guest from enter shikari and it was great to s- s- sit down and have a chat about shikari about all the independent music side of it they've been inspirational on how they've released a lot of stuff and things like that they've really been creative with their not only with their sound but with their approaches so without further ado this is episode 27 That's it. We've started. We're recording. Cool. How you doing, man? I'm joined. Very I'm joined well. by Rao. Is, is it Rao or Root? I never know how to, to to say your name. It is. Well, it is Rao. Rao. Because it's short That's for Rowton, s- yeah. which is a uh, village in Norfolk. Wow. Where my granddad was born. Rock and roll. That's awesome. That's a good name. It, <laughs> but it, it, it everyone just, says Rue as well. It so. occurred to me because, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like oh, we know each other really well. But we've talked a fair bit, but I've realised it's always been over email or Twitter yeah. or Facebook. Yeah. As I was preparing to, to, to do this podcast, I was like, I don't know if I've ever s- s- said your name out loud in front of you. <laughs> so I don't know if I've got it right or not. But um, So Rao, yeah. and we'll try and correct all these people who say Rue completely inappropriately. I, I used to say this, this stupid little just rhyme, it's Rao like cow. Yeah. Straightforward, not, not Rue like Moo. But yep, the other day, I saw this. Just like some kid was doing a review of the latest album on YouTube, and he was yeah. like, "It was American dude." He was like, "It's quite funny because it's it's actually pronounced Rue like Moo, not Rao like Cow." So he completely Brilliant. switched completely it. Completely switched it the wrong <laughs> How did way. You made it memorable, and he's completely <laughs> turned it on its head. <laughs> I love that. Um, I've got a whole list of things we want to get through. Obviously, there's going to be. A music stuff. I want to talk some some politics with you. I want to talk about the new record about touring. But on the way here, um, I was about 10, 15 minutes away. I, you know, that's that's far enough to not give away the location of your secret back cave. But <laughs> you're you're about 10, 15 minutes away from South Mim Services. And I want to okay. talk, as, as, as someone who's toured for a while, I, I want to talk a bit about service stations because <laughs> okay. they become I mean, a key a bit. <laughs> Uh, have you got favourite? Yeah, I oh, that's it. I've, rate, I've always rated South Mims. Um, oh, I'm crackling a bit. I, I think that's me. Yeah, 
I've always rated South Mims. Have you got a preferred services? Because as, as silly and jokey as it sounds, it genuinely becomes a thing, man. Yeah. Like when you're two and you genuinely have your favourite s- services and, yeah. you know, you need a certain amount from services. What's your Yeah. Well, they start highlights? to feel quite homely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's, Completely. Um, Watford Gap. Is that the one just at the, the yeah. start of the M1? Yeah, that's solid. That's, um, yeah, that always makes me think we're close to home. Yep, you get Or we're just starting out, you know, so it's quite quite an emotional place. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm, I've always been... A, a, have you gone to Westmoreland services? Don't know. Kind I mean, of a probably, bit legendary. They're but, kind, or they're yeah. a bit legendary because they're on the way into Scotland. It's the first one. I don't know if it's just before oh. you get into Scotland or out. And it's the one that's like run by a farm. So it's all fresh farm produce. So it's not like there's no... McDonald's or anything there. It's right. all fresh farm food. So that that's generally, you know, listed as the top one. I'm, I'm kind uh. of, I'm nerding out over services <laughs> and, and you're looking a bit confused and blank. But I feel, <laughs> if anything, I'm teaching you for future. Yeah. For future. I think it's, I was thinking this on the way. I think it's Gloucester services have just opened one similar that is <laughs> is run by farm. Like, so it's, a, it's a farm services. And yeah. there's even a shop to buy like fresh eggs and stuff like that. It's, oh, that's awesome. It's pretty There's loads rad. of them in, when, we're touring America, like they're usually just complete carbon copies of each other, like yeah. you say with McDonald's, yeah, yeah, Starbucks, yeah, yeah. and it's just an onslaught. And then you do get one like that where it's just a farm, it's just like you and know, some like, quaint wow, little place, an old is, couple yeah. selling, yeah. And it means something, Beautiful. but then at times you need a Cobham services because Cobham is key to me because that's that's been added onto the M25 services, and that's got. It's got a Papa John's, it's got a Greg's, a Greg's in a services and a Papa John's. It's got a KFC. I like it. Um, but I'm going to continue off of the <laughs> the services talk <laughs> for now. Um, you're kind of in the middle of, of touring and break from touring. How's how's that all, how's it all been going? I'm then going to go back to the start. But yeah, how's that all been? Yeah, great. I mean, most of last year was making the new album. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, we, we still did a few festivals and a few little tours, but um, it was kind of nice to just spend a, you know, decent time at home. And then everything kicked off again in January. Um, and we've done a big, a, big, a fair bit of Europe um, just and just finished our UK tour. Yeah. And now we got this week off and then we um, head to the US. Amazing. They're the, seven, the seven-weeker, Damn, as we dauntingly call it. The yeah. long runs in... Yeah. Was it last year you did a walk tour? Or was it yes. before? Yes, yeah. How was that? Because I always think, I've I've always wanted to do it. It's always been a name because of growing up listening to a lot of punk and mm. hardcore and things like that. It was always a thing. I talk to a lot of people who've done it and they say it's absolutely an absolute nightmare. It kills you. <laughs> it's horrible. But still, there's still, even though everyone who's told me that, I'm like, I still want to do it at some point. <laughs> so, you know, I don't care. How was it? For you guys, because you posted some pictures of some amazing looking crowds and some real, mm. some real rowdy moments, it seemed. Um, I don't know where, to, it's a bit of a love-hate thing, I guess. Everyone like, seems it, to have that, yeah. with specifically the Walter. The community is brilliant. Like, yeah. you meet, you become, you know, best friends with bands because you're just hanging out yeah, every day. Constantly. Um, and the the crowds are really good. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, it really is a slog. There's no sort of, if you if you compare it to European festivals, it couldn't yeah. be further from really? that. There's like there's no backstage. Right. There's no dressing room or anything like that. So Damn. you have your bus, and of course a lot of it's. I mean it's in the middle of summer and a lot of it's going through Arizona and Texas, and your aircon breaks down all the time. So yeah. most of the day you're just sweating like a pig, yeah. and you're just. It, 
the site's extremely big as well. I mean, you get catering and the catering is amazing. Yeah. It's really good. And they, they do all sorts of vegan stuff and everything. So they really cater for everyone. Yeah. Um, but it, everything's quite a walk as well. And there's, you know, there's no buggies from your bus to backstage oh, and all that kind of thing. I so mean, that's the thing with America in general. And as you'll know, and as you're about to engage upon and not to, to make it all seem depressing is it is so much bigger and, and that big. Yeah. And again, the thing a lot of people don't realise on a lot of, of, of US tours and from what I've heard of the walk tour is half the time it's not a hotel's affair. This is you're in your van yeah. it, or in, 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 in your bus. Mm. It literally yeah, exactly. takes as long to get there as you've got, if you know what I mean? So you're literally off stage yeah. in, a, in a bus until you're on stage again, essentially. So... Yeah, it was weird. Like the fir- the very first tour we did in America was after about four years of like proper touring Europe. Yeah, um, and the first tour we did there, we were playing sort of like two hundred cat places, and yeah. but we we did it on a, like a, a double decker tour bus. Wow. So it's it utterly stupid. We're just throwing money away. Yeah, but um, like <laughs> since then we've realised. Oh, okay, we re- we just have to go back to your roots. And you just have to think about how we how we did the UK, you know, up and down for two years in yeah. our little uh, Royal Mail van, yeah. um, you know, mouldy seats and sleepless nights I and mean, that kind of thing. It's definitely the way I think, I don't know, yeah, it's a weird thing. I'm, I'm at the point now where I'd love to try America in a bus because the only times I've done it has been in, like, in a van or even yeah. we did it a load in a large rental car and that was it, just to keep the budgets down and not, yeah. and not throw t- too much money away. Um I mean, we've jumped all the way ahead to America. What was your kind of musical upbringings and roots? How, like, what kind of scene was it? Was it was it Hertfordshire, Hertford yeah. that you, you grew up in? What was going on there and what were your influences? Um, well, I was, I guess my first sort of music was probably Motown and Northern Soul as my dad used to be a DJ and he had huge just boxes and boxes, crates and crates of, of records and... I can remember earliest memories of uh, we used to live in Scotland. We had this this house with this huge, really scary basement. Yeah. It used to frighten the life out of me, but I'd still go down there just to use his, his decks That's and wicked. play records, and it, it would sort of brighten this whole gloomy basement up. Yeah. You know, listening to like Motown. It's like the happiest music. That's there amazing. Is. Um, so I think that definitely instilled a real love for melody. It's yeah. like like I. I've been in sort of like straight up hardcore bands before, but I, I feel like there has to be a sense of melody like yeah. for, for me to sort of really be emotionally connected to a track, I suppose. I mean, um, that's awesome. We had, I had, I had Wes Borland on um, a while ago and he was saying how <laughs> he got into to Motown and stuff like that l- l- late and kind of had to relearn because everything he'd learned was rock and this right. is this. And then it was like, oh, hang on. There's actually, I've learned, to play instruments amazingly well, but I've not learned about songwriting as such and melody and yeah. structure and things like that. So it's kind of, it's good that you, you got that early on. And and do you think that, because again, I'd say every Shikari record I've heard, a Motown hasn't jumped out of no. me, but do you think that's, <laughs> no. that's kind of under there and in your, in your original, in, in the structures you build and the melodies and things like that, do you think that, that sits in there somewhere? I, I think it must do. I mean, yeah, I think the sort of the passion and the aggression is is the the thing that it stands out yeah. with, with Shikari. But um, just because like Motown Northern Soul has been 
one of the genres that stuck with me. Yeah. Like I still listen to it now. So I think, you know, it must sort of seep in unconsciously. Yeah, yeah. no, that's perfect. So, so where did it go from there? From from listening to Motown in a base, in a scary basement in <laughs> yeah, Scotland? Yeah. Um, what was the next step? It would have been, well, I, the first instrument I picked up was the trumpet when I was about 10, I think. Um, kind of enjoyed that for a few years and then when I sort of started you know, getting into my teens, it's like, oh, yeah. trumpet wasn't cool. You know, all my mates were playing guitar, so I've been rocking guitar. a bit of trumpet recently, right? I'm, oh, I'm yeah, sure no, I saw I'm some well back into it. Now. Back like, into it. Yeah, <laughs> love the trumpet, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I suppose got into our, our local scene quite early, and yeah. we were really lucky. We had really thriving, just like small scene where even like t- UK touring bands would, would, would stop off, you know, you know not, not big bands, but you know, yeah, small bands, and um. We had a little youth club called the Pioneer, which is still going now, which is crazy considering the amount of times the council has, has threatened and, yeah. and tried to push through plans to shut it down yeah. and build flats or awesome, man. offices. But yeah, um, so yeah, I guess like hardcore punk was huge influence. Um, Scar as well. Um, that, that's probably one of the first sort of, uh, I never know what label to use, but I guess socially conscious bands. Yeah. Um, like, Adequate Seven and Cap Down were two massive influences on yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's about, yeah, when we were about 16 that we probably started Shikari. Or yeah, 17 I was going yeah. to say, so, because I, I always remember I, when I first started hearing about Shikari, it always came with the attachment of it's these real young kids that are just, yeah. you know, are, are building this hype and, and doing this thing. So what, I don't know, how how did you kind of have that um the mindset or, or or wherewithal to kind of jump instantly from the often again generally with younger bands you have that I don't know a, a local band mentality you're either emulating someone or or things like that um how did you kind of bypass that essentially and seem to just jump to your own sound and your own thing well we had it, it was hard to sort of break in and get a show at that youth club unless yeah. you put it on yourself. So we used to do that a bit. But the the one sort of big thing the whole scene used to unite, unite for, which it will seem like a bit of a contradiction, was a battle of the bands yeah. every year. Yeah, perfect. So even though there was there was a real sense of unity in the scene because we often had to fight our council just to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause you for a second because I'm getting tons of crackling. I'm not sure if it's that lead. I don't know if I've done something there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That should be better. No, that's fine. I think it just wasn't in properly. That's my fault. So continue. Um, battle of the bands. Yeah, battle of the bands. Uh, and yeah, so because weird were- how them things can bring everyone together. Because it's it's the yeah. same. I see that with spoken word nights. I think it's and and, and it's a weird thing. This is is, is going to sound harsh now, but it's true. Everyone is out. For themselves so mm. if you're doing a spoken word night if you put an open mic on you're going to get a lot more people in the crowd because there's a lot more people who want to get up there and do right. their thing than want to just go and watch and support yeah, local yeah. things so a battle of the bands is a great one because it will there'll be a lot of bands and their friends will come along to be involved whereas yeah. if they weren't playing they probably wouldn't be there but again that's that's logical and natural so that yeah. kind of well that, that that sense of competitiveness i think was it it was there. It was underlying yeah. sort of the whole yeah. the whole scene, and that's cool. I think 
I, I, we certainly didn't care about like winning or, or anything yeah. like that, but we wanted to sort of make our mark sort yeah. of thing. And I think as well, cause the music we were starting to, uh, well, back, this, this is honestly probably before Enter Shikari. This yeah. is when we were called Hybrid. Hybrid. Two Y's. Yeah. Yeah. Two Y's, impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, it was it was quite it was fairly melodic, but I don't think it was ever going to sort of win. I think yeah. it was always the local sort of um, like pop punk and ska punk bands that used to go away with it. Um, won everyone over. Yeah, but I think it definitely yeah it instilled that sense of we, we wanted to stand out, we wanted to do something different, and we we just then became a bit a um, bit more aggressive, a bit more into the punk side of things and the hardcore side of things, as well as. Uh, moving into technology like digital stuff so I got my, yeah. like a chaos pad and various sequences and yeah just, just wanting to get out of the local scene as well because yeah. you, mean, you could that, only play that one place yeah. and I think to get gigs elsewhere you really have to push yourself and yeah I mean getting on the electronic side of things early in that kind of genre and setup is I'd imagine is something that made you stand out hugely because at that point, again, particularly on on more local scenes, it's guitars, drums, bass, yeah, and a, a singer. So, so as soon as you as you as you add <coughs> something, it may lose you the battle of the bands, but it will potentially win you the battle actually to move outside of your local scene yeah. and local area and actually stand out and do something a bit more engaging. For me, I didn't play anywhere locally for years until I'd played pretty much everywhere in the UK because of that discomfort of not wanting to just, I don't know, play to my my mates or maybe a nerves of playing to my mates. It was that thing of of, of wanting to go out where no one has any preconceived ideas. Therefore you can kind of do what you want and not have that, you know, that fear that people are going to be like, that's not, that's not really you or that's not your thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. So yeah. So so at what point did you get to start getting out there and touring? Again, you were all, all quite young when it started to take off mm. on more of a national a national level. Well, we used to just do, try and get as many gigs as we could weekends. And yeah. mainly in the, to start off with, that would be gig swaps. Yeah. Um, so we, we'd be, we'd promote a show in St Albans, and maybe try and get one somewhere else, yeah. even just Watford, just yeah, down yeah, the road, yeah, yeah, but yeah. still to Makes a band difference. up north, that's two gigs. Yeah. It'll be, it will be a different crowd. Um, and yeah, so I, we used to make friends with bands from, from Scotland, from Wales, and just basically just try and get gigs anywhere. And it would just, it would never be playing the big cities. It would be playing yeah. these, you know, rundown youth clubs and little, you know, the toilet circuit as yeah. it's called. Yeah. Um, and that seemed to just fare us really well. Um, yeah. a lot of the times we play and it would literally be to the sound guy, like yeah. perhaps his girlfriend or his yeah. dog. And that would be it. Um, if you can, if you can, <laughs> A, a win them over though man it's, yeah. it's no joke because genuinely yeah, exactly. they're the ones who see everything come and go so if you make an yeah. impact on them it's generally it can be a good gauge of, yeah. of what you're doing and yeah absolutely and, and how you're doing it every time we, we seem to go back somewhere there'd just be a few extra people and it was just word of mouth and having that that online hub when you know the MySpace back, back yeah. in the day that sort of served us well as, it's, as well it's great to I think the key for all the all the bands I think that came up around that time that are still here now are the ones that that did exactly that had the 
were putting in the load work in the real world, still had that online thing to mm. say, here's where you can, can find out more, here's yeah. where you can spend money on us and all that kind of thing if necessary, but didn't only rely on that. I, mm. I think when the MySpace boom started, it, a lot of musicians were like, yeah, I'm getting tons of followers, but not actually getting out there and playing in front of people and not yeah. putting in that time. And that's the ones who were huge for a minute. And now their MySpace page is still there as like a, a, a like the um, the painting of, of of Dorian Gray or whatever it is. It's just in in the loft, just getting older and older. And that's their right. kind of their, their MySpace is, <laughs> is sat there doing yeah. that. Um, you also seem to come up and get embraced a lot around the time that all ages festivals and shows and stuff like that were going on did you do a lot of them or am I remembering you doing like one and then that sticking in my head as being a real yeah a real turning no, I'm point pretty sure we did I mean especially at 17 because a lot of venues wouldn't let us yeah wouldn't let us play um yeah I can remember doing like there was that one at the underworld yeah yep. or something yeah yeah back yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Day. there's a few others and as well that that felt like you were getting into a scene as well and like-minded yeah. people whereas before that we'd played the most sort of seedy it's stuff like pay to play shows you know you just be playing this it's pretty, one in Leicester it's Square it's pretty disgraceful isn't it the whole uh, pay to play yeah. thing I, I mean I let's mean, discuss the darkness of that for a thing the, the, yeah. it's essentially a promoter saying my one job is to promote I can't be asked to, to, <laughs> to do that so to cover that yeah. you have to pay to come and yeah. And so many people fall for it. And so mm. many people, particularly from out of London, I find. And I, I was the same with a lot of, of my local bands. A local band would get a gig in London and they'd get a coach and we'd all go there and go and watch yeah. them and support them. And it's like, this is so f- fucking pointless because all of you that are watching them, you, you could have all been watching them at your local around the corner. It's not actually, you, you have that illusion of London. And I think for a long while, promoters exploited that yeah. and kind of said oh, well you get to come and play in Leicester Square or in, in Camden Town and stuff like yeah. that but you've got to pay that's that's yeah. crazy right you're paying to to work essentially saying is it alright if I come and work for you <laughs> I'll pay you to let me work for you that's yeah, it's horrible very very strange I and mean, we fell for it you know yeah, head first it happens we did uh, we used to do yeah like you say get a minibus yeah and uh, my dad would drive down a load, load of our mates and it, I can remember saving up as well. We we all did like paper rounds and stuff like that, a little odd jobs and, you know, save up to hire the van to, to yeah. lug a load of our mates there. And, you know, we all had fun, but yeah. like we didn't get anything out of it. No, there's no, there's no benefit because you're not playing to this, this mythical London crowd. You're playing to yeah. your local crowd. Yeah. And that promoter's not After the sort of... After a coach of, journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that, the type of promoter that does that is one that isn't connected at all. And yeah. he's, he's, he can't then you know, go to his other promoter mates and go, oh yeah, they had loads of people. It was great. You should yeah. check out this band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, he walked home with a bit of money in it's his a pocket. one-off yeah. thing. And I, I, this is going to sound, you know, I, f- I feel I should give some a disclosure. Obviously I've run a club night and the Camden version of it has, has, has live. We've never done pay to play, but we do look at bands and go, how many people can they bring in? You know, that's that's a, a valid thing of bands doing that, but it's that pain to get to do that is yeah. is, is, is crazy. Um, yeah. It's finding the right bill as well, isn't it? And yeah. the right sort of group of bands that are 
you know that the fans of one band are going to enjoy the the rest. Exactly. And- so your coach load of people are going to learn about a new band yeah. that have bought their coach load, and th- and then it works. Then yeah. it's, it's logical. But a lot of them, particularly in those days, I remember there was a band I used to uh, love locally called White Girl, um, and they were kind of a bit of a bluesy rock type thing. But they were they were a, a really good. But I saw them on lineups with metal bands with you know yeah. indie with all sorts it's like no one who came to see that metal band is going to be into to the band <laughs> i've come to see and, and and vice versa so yeah that, that happened to us so much as well just we'd be playing with folk bands yeah literally getting booed off stage and people so, just sticking their finger up at us so, so. how was that early on because <clears throat> one of the things that you really got a lot of hype for was the energy and excitement of your of your live shows mm. how was that when you're having to put that energy and excitement in in front of a crowd that are there to see a folk band or or in a half empty room i mean it's it's easy and i'm not saying that that this american tour isn't going to be hard on your recent tours and bars but as soon as you start to get a fan base it's so much easier to, to go out there and give 100 mm. percent and I oh, think yeah. you learn a lot from going out and having to give 100% when there's two people in the room and still having to go out and not be shaken and not be like, all right, let's make a joke of this or take the bits. Like going, no, this is this is a performance. Yeah. Do you think that helped you in, in those early days of having to, to get grounded in that? Yeah. I, it, it, yeah, it teaches you so much. Um, I mean, we, we got to a very strange period where... I think we were starting to think, well, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, uni was sort of beckoning and our parents mm-hmm. were like, yeah, you need to go to uni. To and job. and uh, there were shows where we'd be playing to just you know, a few, maybe like 10 people. And, it, you know, it would be like a bill that we weren't, we shouldn't have been on at all. Whether yeah. it's bands that are way heavier than us, like a death metal bill yeah, where everyone's yeah, going to yeah. hate us, you know. Yeah. Genre purists aren't yeah, going yeah. to like us. And metal as soon as, fans as, soon as you've got be. electronics, it can yeah. confuse a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that confusion quickly turns to anger, yeah. we found. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so we, we got to the stage where some shows would be literally walking out on stage trying to provoke like a reaction of yeah. anger. Um, yeah, completely. I, I remember a show we did at, um, I, th- I think it was upstairs at the garage, just running over tables, kicking people's drinks. So really immature, stupid stuff. But that that's what it came to. There was this, I think there was an element of frustration, an element of like knowing there was this scene there and there was this crowd there yeah. for, that would understand what we were doing, but but no but one... You can't get them to hear yeah, you. Yeah, we couldn't access it. Yeah. And, um, That's great though, because yeah. that kind of thing is still going to build hype and build and build legend and things like that. I always yeah. remember hearing about a Dan Sartain gig where, and I, again, I really enjoyed his music, but I think the thing that made me hear of him was he was at a gig that was going particularly horrible in America and someone was being really abusive and he, he, he broke the... And then a nose with the the butt of his guitar, like a mid song, just smashed him in the face and continued on. I think the gig had to <laughs> end, but it was like, <laughs> wow, I want to know what this guy is about. Because yeah. as silly as it is, if you're doing it out of genuine passion or emotion, it whether you agree with it as an action or not, you know that they fucking believe in what they're doing, mm. and that's important in music. I think that mm. that passion is is real. So, if you're running around on tables and kicking drinks because yeah. it's all too much, that's that that gets it across. It means you're taking it. You 
you believe in, in what you're doing. Yeah. If, you, if you're willing to piss off a whole room full of people, <laughs> you believe in what you're doing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it it made us just, you know, doing that. It was literally like six months of that. Yeah. And um, when, when people started to understand it, we started playing to the right crowds. It just gave us a whole new sort of satisfaction and, and um, just happiness and gratitude for the people that, that were there and did get uh, it. Do you, you find it removed all nerves? I mean, do you get nervous before gigs? Uh, that, I mean, yeah, that six months certainly did. Because that's it. We I've, just didn't care. I've always felt, I'd, I've played some amazingly big crowds and beforehand I'm playing some Scrabble on my phone or something and not particularly nervous, but it's because of that early days of yeah. playing on street corners or whatever. That as soon as there's a crowd that... Number one, are there for a gig. That's nice. And number yeah. two, are there specifically to see you. It's like, you're not nervous because that's the bit that you're excited about. That's, that's yeah. exciting to get to do. So I'd imagine that those six months quite quickly meant that as soon as you did start to explode, it was like, cool, man. There's no, there's no, yeah. it, it couldn't get too big, if you know what I mean. There's, mm. there's nothing that can phase you. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. And we, the, um, Playing those like those types of shows as well, and I think it gives you like a you can then connect more to the people yeah. that uh, that do get it, and you can sort of you can have that. I mean, the the best thing about live music is that emotional connection. The fact that everyone's so vulnerable to music, and you like you know that they're feeling probably a, quite a similar yeah. feeling to you when you wrote it or when you're playing. Yeah, it. yeah, completely. And um, yeah, it just gives you a whole new gratitude and you can sort of perceive that oh, that's a lot it. more the, the gratitude it, it stops you from getting complacent at any point mm. really because you've you've had those horrible gigs so you're always appreciative of of when they're going well yeah so, so what do you think was the turning point because because obviously i mean jumping f- f- forward a bit famously you guys were this this the the second and possibly the second only um ever unsigned band to sell out the Astoria was something that you know was a big deal at the time how quick was that turnaround and and what do you think do you think you just got in front of that right crowd or have you you got anything specific that you can say oh this is what made them get it and made it switch well for for us it felt really slow it was just that slow climb of going back to those little you know villages and towns playing again and again because the disadvantage of coming through at any reasonably a young age is people assume you've not put in the legwork and grafted right, yeah. which if you started at 16 if you all break at 17 or 18 and people will be like oh you know overnight success it's like yeah. that was a, if that's overnight that was a long f- fucking night man because <laughs> that's been grafting all around the country so yeah, yeah. No, I, but it was it felt like that it was that slow build and the work in there that so mm. do you still feel it was a gradual thing when it exploded or was it a slow build and then all of a sudden holy shit look we've got a huge following I think at the moment when the press actually started you know getting our first few pages in Kerrang and, yeah. and online and people started blogging about us and stuff I think then there was quite a big jump a big jump yeah um, and I remember the, the first time we played Download 2006 I think um, and that that did feel like a, a wow yeah. moment um, awesome. Just walking out on that stage, and it was like it was like all the the little places we played to, um, you know, sort of around the Midlands and the north. Yeah. All those people would come, and it felt like just a really unifying. Yeah, and if it, it feels like a lot 
for them as well to see that moment. Yeah. If someone has seen you in a room with 10 people, to then get to see you on a big stage in this big moment, it, it means that more. Download and Kerrang are the two things I think I'm most je- jealous of you for. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I used to have a subscription to Kerrang, always love Kerrang. They've never, because my stuff's more hip hoppy, they've never right. really covered us, but I've always had a secret. And you've won like a shed load of, of Kerrang awards, haven't you? Yeah. I always remember you kind of getting a lot there and download when I was doing the solo um, album tour we were doing like a, a Reading and Leeds we had the biggest circle pit I've ever seen and we had you know I'd, on that year of touring I broke my ribs three times I think at gigs you know Jesus. They, <laughs> the gigs were rowdy as fuck right. and the download was one that I was like I want to get to play there because I know they don't think a, a weird fit, but I think our current tour and show right. was, again, because it's that a growing up, only going to punk gigs and hardcore gigs mm. kind of thing. It was like, I think we can uh, not show them a thing or two, but, you know, we can hold our own in that crowd. Yeah. And then and it never happened. And it was like, man, so how was that to get to a download type thing, particularly as, as coming from playing as the kid's, with electronic stuff on metal lineups and things like that at points, like when you're up and coming, how was that to get there and go, yeah, we're legit. We're, you know, we're as going to get the crowd as rowdy as anyone yeah. for this weekend. We, we, I remember actually being pretty terrified because yeah. I can remember we were trawling the download message boards, the yeah. forums uh, online back in the day. And, oh man, there, there were the, I mean, obviously the forums are populated by the sort of diehard yeah. metal kids who've been yeah. going to download forever who hated us. Yeah. Like there's genuine hatred. And um, so we were quite scared, but none of that formulated in the, in the yeah. actual reality of the show. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. there was, was loving it. And it, it was, yeah, it really was just one of their moments. He was like, I, I can't remember anything. It's just yeah. a blur. Yeah. Uh, and there aren't, Annoyingly, there actually aren't very many um, YouTube videos on it. I Damn. guess it was before everyone had yeah, I mean, it, cameras it was, phone. It's, and... it's definitely, I don't think we can underrate how kind of, how nerve wracking that must have been because it was right at the start of the time that your heavier stuff would even consider electronics as being mm. in, in that oh, yeah. metal area, in the metal or hardcore area. If it, if it had electronics, it was somewhere else, you know, yeah. completely shunned. So, yeah. That was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it felt like it as well because that, that there was there was really. I'm just trying to think of. The, there were like two other bands. Um, I remember there was one sort of quite localish band called Flip Cycle who had a bit of electronics in, and then there was another one uh, that drum and bass band. Uh, I think they used to play with them in like Amersham and Chesham and places like that. But th- that was literally the only yeah. bands that we'd come across um, who were sort of loosely in, in our scene yeah. um, that we're using that kind of stuff so it really did feel like quite scary but yeah. I think I think we just we genuinely all loved so many different types of music yeah. um, like R- Rory our guitarist his uh, older brother was a drum and bass DJ so yeah. every time going to his house you know from 15, 16 just being pummeled with drum and bass like that absorbed that and we used to love that and obviously living near London got to watch dubstep grow from its yeah. very very early yeah, yeah 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 so i think we we always just got bored very quickly and we just wanted we even though it was scary as hell like we, we would just 
a lot of it was just writing for ourselves. It was quite a selfish thing. And yeah. like, we don't want to just play, you know, blast beat, breakdown, singy chorus and repeat, you know, yeah. we wanted to have all sorts of flavors in there. And yeah. So the, the, the fidgetiness, the fidgetiness and the boredom kind of overcame the fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to have enough stuff there to distract you from the fear of, of not yeah, knowing where to go yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> So again, another thing. I've, I've obviously I've I've gone on on Wikipedia and stuff like that. And by the way, you've got an amazing Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. It's broken down. <laughs> it's just it's it's in awesome. depth. I didn't even have time to read all of it. But um, <laughs> I also wanted to go off a lot of things. I just I remember because I kind of we were doing our thing and touring about around the same time that you guys were were coming up, or at least we were out there at that point already. Um, and I always remember hearing about. Again, I'm sh- I'm sure it was the Astoria gig. I remember hearing something about are you guys spending all your money on a on a laser, essentially. Yeah. What was the deal? I, I can't remember exactly. I just remember it's been they've spent like all the everything on a big laser for this gig. So they've just got yeah. this massive like that's too big for the venue. That's gonna <laughs> kill everyone inside. <laughs> what was the deal there? Can you explain that a bit? Basically. Um... <laughs> The, the thought of actually getting paid like an, an all right sum, yeah. I think we were just so excited and we were literally like kids in a sweet shop when our, uh, my dad at the time was our sort of only, well, not even a manager then, yeah. just helping us out. And he kind of presented us with these possibilities and he's like, you're getting this amount. And, you know, I've done a bit of research. Look, you can get this lighting module and this lighting yeah. guy to control it for this amount. And we were like, oh my God, we can actually have production. We can actually yeah. have a show. We can really fuse the visual with the audio like and that was so exciting and, and yeah huge we thing it. to realize right yeah man. yeah it was extremely surreal and um what made it even more surreal so the thing we ended up going for was uh coldplay who were doing something right. um and it was a day off and uh somehow we managed to get one of their lasers from like, literally their stadium shows <laughs> yes so, <laughs> so uh that's we, what i remember hearing it was like a stadium yeah. laser in yeah. the astoria that was you know it was a decent yeah. size venue but we were, we were so excited yeah <laughs> how was, was that uh, yeah it was great um I, there was actually uh, tell me you literally pr- pressed the laser once at the end and it just made everything go mental the rest of the gig is like building up to yeah. now we're going to press it and then everyone everyone died well I mean if you think before that all we used to have was like like a we'd have like a four way plug adapter yeah one with like that had a switch on it for all four plugs yeah. and then we'd literally have four strobes just little ones that you can get from like Argos or yeah. something plugged into that and then either Rory or Chris onto their pedal board would have that and they'd just flick just the switch, switch with the toe literally oh, every now and then so that was, that was our light show so the thought that's of having... in itself though that's, yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah, that's, that's creative idea there yeah. of having that control of and not having to have a, a lighting guy which yeah. costs money you know yeah so every time Rory would be stomping on the sort of distortion pedal for a heavy bit he'd also click the uh, the strobes brilliant um but yeah, no, that, that the there's actually a recording um, of I think it was something off our first album. Well, because that's the only album we had out then. Yeah. But uh, I think it was Return to Energizer, which has a, a real sort of trance section in it, and um, that's I think the first point where the laser came on, and you can hear in the recording the drums completely mess up because because yeah. Rob was literally looking behind himself at the laser just like an absolute awe and just like just completely fluffing the cymbals and just yeah I love so it funny. just enjoying the, the gig more yeah. than forgetting that he's meant to be playing yeah. the gig just going look at this exactly yeah I love it so, so how was that I mean it's your debut album 
it got in the top ten, right? Was it number like in the top five or something? It smashed so, yeah. into the charts. Yeah, I can't remember. How where was it that got. after all that that build up? And was that on your own label at that point? Because I know it was independent artists, and you know, um, when did you kind of start the own label um, and, and releasing your own stuff? How did that well, work? It just kind of evolved. So we had, um, I remember again, saving up a load of uh, uh, paper round money to buy one of yeah. them uh, six-way CD burners. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, um, yeah. Then we just, yeah, printed them up. Um, I think we used to sneak into my my dad's work as well and just like do all the, the printing of the, the sort of sticky labels Brilliant. and stick them onto the CD and... Uh, yeah, just, you know, just doing everything we can and just that was to release. We did two EPs like that and started selling them online and uh, after things got bigger and bigger, it was only then that labels started sort of sniffing around yeah. and, take, you know, taking us out for dinner and schmoozing us up. It's great, isn't and, it? Uh, yeah, but I think luckily at that point we'd met um, our other manager, Ian, and he kind of guided us and we sort of came to the realisation that even though... We, not at the beginning um we just it was all out of necessity we were just doing yeah. it by ourselves because yeah, yeah, we yeah, had no other choice we then after that we kind of realized that oh there is this scene there's this diy this hardcore mm-hmm. this is actually what people do and it's, it's you can get by and it can work and learning about like discord records and things like that yeah yeah and um it just then seemed like the obvious next step to just try and make our own label um and That's we wicked. got yes, yeah, just distribution deals and kept all our copyrights and everything, and it just yeah, it felt felt That's right. That's perfect. I mean, if you can get a good a distribution deal or <clears throat> or or some kind of publishing in there or whatever, mm. it becomes completely doable and manageable if you've got the right the right head on your sh- sh- yeah. shoulders. If you've got the wherewithal to go right, here's how I'm gonna run shit essentially. Yeah, then that can work gr- great. So how was that to then? How did you find that step up from sneaking into your dad's place to <laughs> to print things off to then having a record that's in the charts and having expectation on on further records, having a distribution deal and all these other things? Mm. How was that? I mean, that that's probably the most like surreal year of my life. I think that that would have been yeah, two thousand and seven, yeah. and that was the sort of the first time we went to America as well, and we were getting the support of like you know big bands were like sort of taking us out like we, we did a tour with Billy Talent yeah um Lincoln Park yeah I mean it was just proper surreal Huge, and then yeah. people like Tony Wilson started saying oh, that wow. we were the best thing since the Sex Pistols and all these like that's amazing you know, crazy yeah, statements yeah, yeah, yeah. proper sort of pinch yourself stuff um yeah, so it was just a, a mental year. Um, and again, it's just it's just a blur now. My, me- yeah. my memory's not what... <laughs> no, it just all... All those things, though, is they... As soon as they become your reality and your day job, essentially, they stop... They stop registering as quite as amazing and unusual as they are, if you know what I mean. So mm. it's not that you take it for granted, but it's like, right, this is just what had to happen and this is what has happened. Yeah. And it becomes a natural... Progression, I guess. Um, so, how's it been uh, to climb up in venue sizes and the stages at which you're doing at festivals and things like that? Have you adapted your live show to fit the bigger venues? Do you prefer or you know hark back to 
playing the Astoria with a stadium-sized laser? Or, you know, have you kind of (laughs) adapted that across the kind of size of venues and as you've built the crowds? Um, Well, we we were always quite adamant, like, for instance, that we would never play a main stage festival. Yeah. I can remember getting our booking agent (laughs) and literally putting that as, like, a stipulation. Like, we don't do main stages. It's not what we're about. We're about the sweaty, dingy, you know, intimate places. And, um... It's cool, like, I mean, for instance, last year we did a, a tour of, of, like, real small out-of-the-way places yeah, 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 in, cool. in the UK. So we can still do that and keep that sort of side of us alive. But there was, there was a point, I think it was Lowlands Festival um, in Great Holland. Great festival in Holland, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, maybe 2008 or something. And we were playing a tent and someone pulled out of the main stage and we had got offered this slot. And it was, it was literally the day after. Or, no, it was the same day. It was the same day yeah. as the show we were playing in the tent. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, And um, we just said, oh, okay, sort of reluctantly. I mean, yeah. looking back, it's just like embarrassing like, yeah. to, you know, being offered a main stage slot. It's being like, be grateful you're reluctant. Like, yeah, you know, completely. Like, but um, we did it and it, it was, it just kind of, it was just a total slap around the face. It was just like, wow, this is awesome. This is really good. Yeah. And now it's like my absolute favourite thing to do. Yeah. Not, it doesn't have to be like a big main stage, but but just a stage that's outdoors, like yeah. with no roof, no tent or anything. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so raw I've, and primitive about it. Like, I've got to um, put a, a, a little story and confession in here. I've argued, um, only because the kid will probably will be listening, I've argued uh, with a kid on Twitter about you guys are playing the main stage oh, really? um, at Red and Leeds because <laughs> it came about because this I I think I tweeted about your new record which we will get onto as as well and this kid said oh it'd be great if you supported them at, at um, I think it was when you were doing the Roundhouse recently and I was saying that's wicked but we're not the same size but of a similar size you know we play similar size of venues and I was kind of saying generally you want to take a band that's a lot smaller and give them exposure, if you know what I mean. Like, mm. we always pick our support bands really carefully. Yeah. And equally, if you're playing a big venue, you don't necessarily want my fan base taking all a, a load of the t- a tickets. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. I, was, I was just trying to explain that that's not how it works. And this kid got furious saying, how are you saying that you're as big as them? They've played the main stage at Reading. And I was like, well, I mean, number one, I'm not saying, I'm saying they're playing bigger venues than us. That's fine, you know, but playing the main stage and different stages isn't necessarily, like you can play a better slot on a small stage. You can play an opening slot on a main stage. But it ended up this massive argument on Twitter. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here because I'm not arguing that anyone is bigger or smaller than anyone. I'm just saying that, you know, I'd rather go and, and watch you guys than come and support kind of thing and, mm. and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was an interesting <laughs> argument and discussion. I, th- I thought I had to get it in there because that kid's probably a listener going, see, I told you they played the main stage. So I, I know that man. Um, so so what, uh, what is it about that that open air thing that you enjoy the most? Because there's a lot of that on, on, on the Warp Tour as, 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 as well, isn't yeah. there? There's a lot of the open air ones. And they're somehow there is a difference I feel you can play to the same amount of people or less people but if it's the right stage and the right setting almost mm. it can just be that bit more feel that bit bigger yeah. and more dramatic yeah well I mean certainly the the tents if you take away the festival vibe 
and you know the fact that everyone's covered in mud and having yeah, a yeah, yeah. great time and off their face so if you take that away it can often just feel like you're playing a venue you know yeah. I, there's just some yeah completely something quite, I don't want to get sort of <laughs> spiritual about it but like yeah. there's just something about playing outdoors like just the the fresh air seeing the sky and just having your music you know the sound waves are just going out and there's nothing to stop them there's yeah. nothing to rebound off they're just I mean it's horrible for a sound man because yeah, you're well, at, the, exactly. at, at, at the mercy of wind of anything else yeah. of hills but yeah it's pretty amazing we did one in Portsmouth recently um or South Sea I think it was specifically and it was really weird because the way the stage was the, the main stage was set up was there's a fence on the right as you're looking out which meant all the crowd couldn't see past that sense fence but from the main stage you could and it was just the sea so just just looking out from the stage you had this this or a sea of people and literally a few few meters to one side was just the beach and the sea wow. going out as far as you could see and it yeah. was like this is crazy. This I feel like Diplo. You know, we're playing on a beach, and it's this. Yeah, yeah. There's a few it's a of them, thing, right? Like in like in Europe, and oh, where's this one in um, Cabana in Russia? We did. It's exactly like that, and it's just yeah. There's just it's just so surreal again because you, especially once you, you you've just been playing dingy venues all your life, and then yeah. you're out in this like landscape of like utter beauty and you're ruining it polluting it with your yeah, music yeah, 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 <laughs> something yeah, yeah. quite nice about that yeah yeah it's, it's crazy um well let's continue on to um let's get on to lyrics and political activism kind of i think the two come hand in hand with uh, with you in in many ways when did you decide that put in that that what you wanted to talk about in your lyrics essentially and when you wanted to to push the boundaries and you know address social issues and things like that was that from the start or did that come after you'd kind of calmed down from that initial hype of we're in a band fuck right yeah um i think it was there there was certainly the the sense of um not just taking authority as you know the final word on things I, that that was instilled in us very early just from the quaint local struggles that we had with our council yeah, sure, um, course. just constantly wanting to shut down gigs not giving a reason not understanding that it was a positive thing getting kids off the street it was creative it was communal um and I, I, it literally was the cliche of just like sort of aging councillors just not really understanding it and thinking that everyone was just doing drugs and oh, being violent one of my favorite qu- quotes has always been and I've used it in a lyric um, has always been observation not old age brings wisdom hmm. and I think that's key yeah, and I think yeah. the small town thing has that a lot as well because you'll have the the elders of the town that makes it sound far more grand but the older people who are on the councils who won't you know who won't understand what the change is and what the current thing is they'll just think well that's not allowed whereas yeah. the, sometimes and, and young people aren't always right half the stuff i believed as a teenager or as even early 20s it's, it's fucking ridiculous now i realized i was an idiot and i just had ideas above my station or whatever but they're not they're also not always wrong and shouldn't be ignored so exactly that you should be a, it's good to have that in you to to question authority and to question uh, what you're being told and not to outright just say everything that the grown-ups say is rubbish or they're old yeah, but yeah, yeah to, to, ha- to have that in you to go right why should we close it down and why is it an issue and if you can f- find arguments that sit that counter that then mm. 
that's valid, right? And how do you get that across? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was. I think that's something that stuck with us as well. Just the the importance of analysis and perspective, and that the sort of, sort of uh, a scientific way of, of thinking. Um, yeah. It's kind of the that and unity. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the two things that we've always really tried to pummel into people with our yeah. lyrics. But um, yeah, it, I don't think much uh, after that. Not there wasn't too many sort of moments or events that yeah. happened. I mean, that that got to silly stages. Like the, there was a point where we were actually doing quite well, maybe 2006, 2007. We came back to play the Auburn Arena. Yeah. Um, not an arena. It's a panto venue. Just Brilliant. called the Auburn Arena. Nice. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it's a fair size. It's like a thousand cap. Yeah. And um, they, the council, first of all, just pulled the show. Oh, really? Um, and then uh, one of the great things was the local press were all on our side. So it was, it was brilliant. And it just it became a total, like, us versus them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. United the whole scene. It was, it was great. But the, at the end, that they stipulated that um, for the show to go on, there's... Well, yeah, what did they say first? They said that there's no bar. Um, then we fought that and won that. Yeah. Uh, and then they said, okay, it can go ahead, but we need um, six plain-clothed police officers in the crowd. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's insane. And of course, there was absolutely no, not one incident of any sort of trouble. Yeah, it was a complete yeah, of waste course. of time. Um, and I bet those six officers had a great night. <laughs> yeah, it's I hope so. The yeah, best yeah. night ever. Moshing their heads off. Yeah. This one's for you guys. <laughs> and the bar's open. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a that was a strange uh, few years. But That's great, though. And that, that I guess that roots things nice and early on. on because I was going to ask when you started to notice your fan base becoming actively politicised and and socially aware. And I guess that from early on, it kind of establishes that of going, right, we're, you know, there's a lot of different issues, but they're willing to make a stand and Mm. to be, and unity to be there to go, right, let's let's not just accept this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that as well as about that time, uh, sort of discovering that, Hardcore wasn't just a local thing, wasn't just a UK thing. Yeah, and yeah of course. Discovering sick of it all and refused um, and just kind of just being really influenced by that. Just like, yeah. this music is so passionate, so angry. And it, it when you find out that some of the bands you've been listening to, there's actually no substance to the lyrics. So they're running around shouting and it, is this just an act then? Are they not actually I mean, angry? I mean, like- that's what's quite interesting. I think about are you guys specifically is you can um, kind of gently um, listen to and be a fan and observe your music and not realise how political it is. Mm. But if you do wish to pay attention and delve deeper, I mean, obviously there's tracks which, you know, it's different. That it's so clear and so at the front. But yeah. I think that's one of the things I think is kind of great in a way that it's not, it stops it coming across as preachy. I mean, yeah. I suffer a lot from uh, at points being considered preachy or, 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 or anything like that. The beauty of the message being so beautifully interwoven with everything is that, you know, you can kind of... And not, and not take it or leave it, but it's not forced down your throat constantly. There's kind of mm. some variation in this. And so was that a conscious thing to kind of go, right, yeah. at this point, I want some screaming, <laughs> but I want the screaming to be about something more than just, mm. yeah. Yeah, just, well, just, just wanting it to be genuine and be honest. Yeah. And 
if uh, yeah, just again, just finding out that bands were just either singing about their own personal relationship, and that to me just felt a bit private and a bit even narcissistic, you yeah, know, to yeah. do that. And I, I, I think probably propelled by the the sense of community that we'd we'd sort of grown up in around the local scene and with all the struggles we've had, there was that. I often found myself writing we instead of I yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and just wanting to sort of not speak for people, but, you know, just, just speak about things that affected all of us and not just yeah. personal. Again, I mean, that's, that seems to just hark of the old scar and punk mm. a, a unity kind of yeah. a, a vibe and idea of saying, yeah, that we're all, you know, I'm not claiming to be a spokesperson, but I know there are others that think about this and I know that the change can only be made with all of us. You know, you as an individual can't overthrow St Albans Council, but, you know, as as, yeah. as everything that's there, as the demand and as the people, it can be, you know, overturned and yeah. taken in. What, on on your latest record, what subjects kind of came to the, the forefront I think it was the first single was br- a brilliantly kind of attacking of the current the medical industry and and you know the pharmaceuticals kind of the way that's all set up what I don't know ha- ha- what fights are you currently f- fighting th- through the music and what made you choose these kind of particular things well the, yeah I mean healthcare I think because of the current climate in the UK of privatisation that we wanted to address that, but also on a more global scale, because there's been a lot of points where we've been touring America and the shows are a bit smaller out there. So we can, we can actually hang out on our merch and yeah, meet a yeah. lot more people. And, and just, just realizing that like, there's so many people who literally have to set up like a, a charity for themselves because they need an operation and it's, it's crazy out there, right? stories, yeah, about people, you know, just come down with cancer and they can't afford, the, you know, the, the, the treatment they need. And it's, yeah, it's just quite, it's really harrowing and uh, I think it's just a topic that we felt was really, now was the time to approach that yeah, properly. Yeah, completely. And it's scary how so much of um, a world... A, a wide society in many ways, certainly a Western society, tends to go the way of America in the end. And the fact that on the healthcare front, that's petrifying out there. That's that's genuinely a scary situation that, yeah, you could get ill and be told, we've got everything to make you better here, but you, you can't yeah. have it because... <laughs> You've not got the right healthcare, or you've not it's got the money, and things the like that. It's just that's just there. Yeah. It'll go out of date in all likelihood. <laughs> yeah. we'll, 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 yeah. we'll probably end up binning that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a petrifying thing, right? Yeah, I, I remember as well. Actually, the first protest that I ever went on was as a not my, my parents aren't like overtly political really at all. Yeah. Um, but our our local hospital, St Albans, got shut down or really diminished in size, and um, I remember you know, doing my own little billboard thing to hold up, sign, like colouring it in yeah. and just like, so yeah, we just went went on a protest to that and marched around St Albans. And of course, at the time, I didn't really know, I was maybe 10 or something, I didn't really know what why this was happening, but it just seemed so strange. Like, so hold on, there's all these people that work there who are now not going to have a job 
there's all this equipment that is now, I don't know what, being sold or dumped probably. Yeah. Um, and all these people who need those services aren't, are going to have to now travel a lot further, which is quite dangerous in itself. Yeah, yeah of course. And it just made no sense. And it's obviously only sort of growing up and, and then learning about privatisation and well, right-wing politics in general. Yeah, it just yeah. all became like, oh... Oh, okay. So it literally is as simple as putting profit before people. Yeah. Um, and it often is. It, it It's often portrayed as a much more uh, complicated, you know, nuanced thing. But a lot of the time I seem to find myself siding with that sort of, um, I guess the sort of John Lennon, you know, peace man. Yeah, like literally, yeah, yeah. sometimes things are really that simple. Yeah. Um, and what do you feel are the kind of, solutions in many ways then obviously just speaking of peace there but then equally speaking of protests and speaking of marching what do you feel I know you've been involved in a a lot of different um, protests and marches and stuff like that do you feel in this country marching and protesting is is an effective way of getting a, a message across um again i'm not saying either way just just yeah. curious to see what you think do you think i know i mean a mindset i've 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 lent to a lot over the years is that in this country protests are almost there to let us angry people get it all out of our system and in a way can control us all the more right. you know you if you go here on this date, you've got a six-hour time in which in which in which you can have your say, and then you can go home and say, "I went on a march against that." Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but nothing more. Like, how do you feel about that? What's your kind of feeling? Do you think it's important to at least have your say, or do you think that the opportunity to have your say but it not necessarily have an impact kind of sedates you a bit from being angry about stuff when there's a lot to be angry about? Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's like you know, almost going to the protest, patting yourself on the back, coming home and then uh, exactly. you know, I've done my bit. I mean, that's, it's, it's my, it's, it's <clears throat> where I've kind of gone against, um, our current f- a form of democracy a lot. Cause I think it, it, it's in a way, it's a comfortable way for those in power to make us, to give us the illusion that we're having a say and having yeah. an impact. It's saying, well, next month you can all have your vote. And then <laughs> after that, you know, it, like in the last election where it didn't go the way anyone wanted it wasn't agreed this combining of parties and all sorts of other things yet all we could do is well you know in four years time we are gonna oh I'm gonna vote again it's like (laughs) cool you did that this time and it didn't work It's, it's kind of for me our current form of democracy feels exactly like that it's that to give you that chance to say that you're you're doing something when really they're sitting again I yeah. think they've got a say in this. It, I mean, the whole the whole thing is incredibly demeaning. Yeah, really, yeah. it's like yeah, like you say, trot merry along to the voting booth yeah. every four years, and then what else can you do? Well, you can go in the street and you can shout and walk about. I mean, yeah. the protest basically. Yeah, and that's that's your options. I mean, it's. It's, and, yeah, and it's incredibly and, and, and insulting. O- only at the time that we've sanctioned you yeah. to do that, <laughs> yeah, you have to yeah. ask us first if it's not going to cause too much trouble yeah. to protest against <laughs> us. Which I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, the the, uh, the ancient Athenians would laugh at what we yeah. call democracy. Yeah. You know, they completely. They're. Uh, but, but then to 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 counter that, obviously, it, f- it feels like I'm kind of 
shitting on all forms of protest and everything to counter that (laughs) it's great that we're at a point where so many people are politicized even if it is purely through sharing a facebook post or, or 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 going on a march you know it's a good thing as well that there's more there seems to be more awareness Potentially, that's because we're getting in a worse and worse situation, and people yeah. have to become more politically aware. But, but is is that something that you've noticed as your career has has gone on that more people at your shows are talking to you either online or afterwards about serious shit rather than just like, dude, that laser was awesome or anything like that? <laughs> is that something that's that's coming across more? Yeah, absolutely. That. I mean, it, we, I remember the stage where people used to just talk about the band and the music, but yeah. it, it really is 50-50 or, or if not even more weighed it's great. to the fact. I mean, pe- people want to, if they're a fan, they want to say how much they enjoy the music, yeah. but I think it's often more interesting for them to sort of, oh, so, so what did you mean by this? And should I do this or should I do that? And the, the topics. Yeah, I mean, obviously. For me, hearing Billy Bragg talk about you guys instantly made me go, Damn, it's definitely made that crossover <laughs> to being as much about the calls yeah. as about you know anything else, mm. which is a great thing, surely I'd say. Yeah, and it's incredibly motivating as well because I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of times you can be on tour and you know you haven't seen your family and your, your girlfriend and haven't been home for for months and you can be having a few crappy shows. You're completely sleep deprived. It's, you don't feel healthy whatsoever. And there's a lot of points where you can think, uh, if I didn't think I was connecting with like people and if I didn't have people coming up to me at the merch going, oh, you influenced me to do this or you yeah, helped yeah. me through that or, it's, or, it's, or, or just the fact that our music emboldened their opinions and their yeah. views and sort of strengthened them. Um, if if there wasn't that side to our music, I don't think I could do it because yeah. I'm, I'm not... I'm not that much of an outgoing person, I'm yeah. not sort of extroverted. Um, and yeah, I like I like being at home with my friends and my cat, you know, yeah, <laughs> and reading yeah. a book. So. Completely. So I think there has to be that extra motivation. That's um, wicked. Yeah, just to spur us on. Yeah, I mean, we're just over the hour mark and now, so we'll start to, to wrap things up. But I wanted to talk to you about the actual release of your last record, um, um, a mind sweep was it? Is that mm. is that the name? I, I'm terribly getting names right. Mind sweep. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think the music industry is in a real tough, t- tough place, as everyone knows at the moment. And releasing albums, even, is a weird and tough thing. It's becoming a more and more alien. As the more the more I think about it in the current industry, the more I think, is the album still a valid thing? I hope it is, but I question it a lot. And one of the things I loved was the pop-up sh- shop that you guys did. I thought that was fucking genius. Uh, can you uh, t- uh, tell people a bit about that and how it worked and how it went? I just, I remember s- uh, uh, seeing you guys posting about it and thinking, that's fucking great. Because one of the things that always gets talked about and one of the things I love doing on tours is being at the merch booth and meeting people and being yeah. there to engage and the, the discuss stuff. And again, quite... Um, uh, commercially to make money to 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 earn that to sell that that's still a valid part of what we do and how we keep doing this as our careers mm. and yeah i'd never thought of that and i loved the idea if you did a, a pop-up shop in camden and was like right on the release day come by the record f- from us and we're in yeah. the shop how did that go and how how did that idea even come about it i mean it was it was so enjoyable it, yeah. it really it was a hectic day like we thought we'd get there 
I think we opened at, at 10 and we thought maybe there'd be a few people there coming before work or... or scary, right? Isn't yeah. it? The fact that you're putting this big thing on and then it might be no one really turns up. Well, but no one, that's what we, we expected. Stuff like that does happen when yeah. you're expecting, <laughs> well, we've just sold out this huge v- venue. We're going to have that. And sometimes people are like, nah, I'm not going to drop <laughs> Well, no, we, we kind of expected to just be like twiddling our thumbs until lunchtime. Yeah. You know, people on lunch breaks yeah, coming sure. out from school and, and work. And but it, it was just all day. Like there was Brilliant. a massive queue when we opened. Um I mean it yeah, it was just hectic. It was crazy. And it was yeah, it was so much fun. We we put up a little um basically there's a load of photographers that, that we've worked with and we've we've loved for, for ages and we used a load of their work and sort of blew that up and framed it. So it was a bit oh, of like an kids. arch, you know. That's amazing as though. well. Um and yeah, had the album and a load of merch and just chatting to people. Yeah, it was brilliant. Did you have to have the album p- playing on loop the whole time? No. I hate that's that. that's the tough thing. I, I love, like, you must have done loads of Banquet records. I, I love the guys at Banquet, but that's always been the awkward thing at signings when it's then yeah. a new record play and you're sitting like, oh, we, fuck we it just, on it. And, yeah. and, then, and that's normally for, like, an hour of signing stuff <laughs> rather than a whole day of Yeah, of well, we did the week of uh, signings on the release week. Yeah. So was, we did about two a day, like, you know, sort of Southampton and uh, yeah. B- Bristol and then yeah. Manchester, Liverpool. And yeah, it was... Um, yeah, I'm on loop. Every time we get there, we're just like, first thing, can you turn that off, please? Put yeah. something, anything, anything yeah. else on, like, literally. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was, that was, how long was the, the pop-up sh- shop? It was purely on release day, right? It was on the day of yeah. release and it was just... Yeah, yeah. just a full day. That's slugging amazing. behind a counter yeah and just just again i think that's a beautiful a way of doing things and having that engagement with fans and making it a different thing from the tour that is going to happen to promote the album and all, mm. all the other things that come with it i thought that was really yeah i liked it a lot that's a good it's a, yeah. it's a good idea so we'll start to round up with what's ahead and where can people kind of keep up to date obviously it's tough with you guys because there's there's enter shikari twitter there's your own twitter everyone's kind of got their own yeah what's the best way i mean we can throw everyone else under a bus here and only give yours <laughs> if you want you know f- fuck those guys but yeah uh well i mean i, I what's certainly the best use i'm addicted to social media more than all the other chaps yeah. i think but yeah yeah uh, i mean i'm just raul reynolds on twitter and then there's the antishikari one as well um and then Instagram, Instagram, everything Snap- else. Well, we started Snapchat the other day. Snapchat, I've not done that yet. Are you enjoying that? <laughs> well, I-, I was totally against it. Well, not against it, but indifferent. <laughs> yeah. And um, Rory started it up, and um, it, yeah, it's actually going really well. And the fans seem yeah. to love it. Like, I think because it's so throwaway, like the fact that the videos oh, yeah, vanish after the, twenty-four yeah. hours, you you can just. There's no pressure because even on an Instagram video, I feel like, oh, this has to look good or be funny or yeah. do something interesting. But on this, you just, you know, take a video and that's it. And sometimes that can actually bring out yeah, funnier stuff because you just don't care. Is yeah. there anything that, that you've been annoyed that it was only there for 24 hours? They'd, they'd be like, that was fucking gold, man. That should have. <laughs> oh, oh, we need to reshoot that for Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, oh, that happens so much. <laughs> Something funny will happen backstage, and I'll be like, "Oh, quick, get the camera! We're, we're behind on our vlogs. We need to do a video, yeah. video diary." And then we try and like re- redo it, and it's just like loses all a the reenact and recreate yeah. the, the wonder of it. Works. How do you find <laughs> a, a social media? Again, I've some people love it, some hate it. I think, particularly when you're you're having 
political and social stuff as well as your general messing about and and nonsense i find it's a great way to keep that interaction and and connection are you a fan of it in that way for yeah what you can get across and how it can give a greater you know for better or worse a greater um insight into who you are as a person rather than just these 12 songs of opinions on a record Mm. yeah there's a there's something that always frustrates me is the fact that we can i mean i don't we never get sort of accused not really the right word but accused of being like a serious band or you know too serious but people could listen to the music and probably maybe sort of uh not quite capture the the nuanced like comic or ironic bits you know here and there so i think that's one good thing that social media is good for just 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 to bringing out this the the sort of silliness that everyone has and just again taking down the 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 boundaries between the sort of entertainer and the the audience and we're actually just you know we're all just normal dudes you know like just we're just as silly and, and stupid as everyone else and I think that's that's also something important because a lot of people think that you know wanting a, a fighting for a better world and activism should be the sort of stern faced thing when I, I don't think that really gets you anywhere no, like a lack it, of humour is a not of a good off. thing it's, it's, yeah it's switch are you off I find um I find the the, the reason that when I post about anything p- political or social or, 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 or activism based, the reason it gets a lot of engagement is it's not every day and constant. Half the time I'm just talking absolute sh- shit. So it's kind <laughs> of, you know, it, 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 it has that impact. It has a greater mm. impact because a one minute it's a tweet that's a fart joke and one minute is, look, this is some serious yeah, yeah. stuff. I almost said shit, but I bet I would have felt too bad after the a fart joke line. So this is just, yeah, it's kind of, I think it adds... Th- to the impact in that way, if you can be more yeah. human and engaging. Definitely, yeah, because, I mean, people want to know who who you are, you know, yeah. really, beneath yeah. all the uh, the media uh, attention and yeah. the sort of, the little pockets of who who you are that they get. Yeah. yeah. The actual edited and put out a version <laughs> of who you are. There's no, yeah. the, I mean, Snapchat sounds even scarier in that way, that there's no filter it is, especially when Rory's like, oh. in control of it and we'll just be sitting in the dressing room and he'll come in videoing and we won't look up and he'll ask us a question and we'll reply and then realise he videoed it. It's oh, like, shit, no. Oh, that's out there. Don't put that out there. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Well, yeah. I think we've, we're at the end there, so thank you very much for inviting me into your home yeah, and chatting yeah. for Thanks over an hour. It flies by, doesn't it? It does. I, always, I do these all, each time and I always think 60 to 90 minutes, that's kind of long... It's just flown by. Yeah, that is lovely. Thanks. So for thank you me. very much, and enjoy the American tour. I, f- I fully Jeez. recommend people following, particularly on Instagram, because I think a lot of the photography you get at, at the live shows and stuff like that is just awesome. So yeah, cool. L- I look f- I forward to following you from distance. Thank you very much. Thanks, dude. Bye. That was episode 27 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Thank you for tuning in. That was good, wasn't it? I love that dude. It was it was, was great to see. It's the first time we'd sat down and had a proper chat. So um, 
that was good to get through. Um, next, In fact, not next week, tomorrow. We're doing two this week as well. In fact, before I get on to tomorrow's one, I'd like to give a few, um, if you enjoyed that, then you might like. Um, we mentioned a Billy Bragg there. So we've had Billy Bragg on the podcast a few weeks ago. And in fact, last week we had Wes Borland on. So he'd be a good one to, to check out. Um, we got a bit political towards the end there. There's some great podcast previously with Josie Long, who's a great comedian and activist, um, with a company called FullFact.org, um, which is is one of my my favourite podcasts we've done because their job is to fact check all the nonsense um, that people end up sh- sharing on Facebook from Britain first and people like that. But then also all the stats and nonsense that are, are quoted in Parliament at times that isn't actually f- a fact check correctly. So that's a really good one. Um, so check them out. But let's move on to tomorrow. We've got Sarah Pascoe, who is one of my favourite comedians. She's absolutely brilliant. And it was another one where our discussion could have gone on for hours and hours. She's a really good talker, intelligent lady, um, and just hilarious. I caught her Edinburgh show in 2013, I think, um, and it blew me away. Um, And she's been winning awards and tearing things up ever since then. So please click subscribe and Auto-download if you can. That'd be great. But yeah, we're back tomorrow. See you in a bit.